The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my, uh, I'm also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes a newsletter called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And you can go to Jay Taylor, uh, actually go to miningstocks.com. Uh, to sign up for either of those letters. You do need to put your name on a waiting list uh, to receive Chen's letter, and he will be accepting new subscribers only at the start of the next quarter, because that would be October, the early days of October. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, and I want to thank, uh, would like to encourage you to keep sending your questions along, questions, comments, criticisms, uh, positive feedback, whatever, to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. And I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show, Hayden Resources, Ganey Capital Corp., and Uranium Energy Corporation. Regarding Cadian Resources, that company just reported this past week some very promising assays from the third of nine surface gold targets on its very large El Barquino property in Mexico. Now, I will be commenting on this company in much more detail this weekend in my newsletter, but in my view, this is truly one of the most promising, well-funded, well-managed junior gold exploration companies that are out there these days. Of the first three, uh, the first three of nine targets that were tested all came up uh, very positively, with very good drill results. A lot more work will need to be done on those as well as the remaining six targets before uh, we'll know whether or not the company is going to be successful in establishing a project, but it definitely seems to have the potential to establish a an open pit heap leach project of uh, perhaps many millions of ounces of gold. It's looking very, very positive at this point in time in, in any event. In addition to the El Barquino property, the company has a second project that is really a very, very promising longer term, but shorter term may provide some very significant cash flow to the company. Why so? Well, because the company has a target that is right, uh, really strategically located, in fact, is part of what uh, Gold Corp's uh, 
project in Mexico next door. It's called the Los Feliz Open Pit Project. In fact, Gold Corp has the open pit is extending onto the land that is uh, that is held by Caden Resources, and uh, there is the likelihood, uh, quite uh, positive, quite likely uh, this year that that will be monetized, and there will be a significant amount of cash that will flow. Uh, in the direction of Caden Resources, and that company is already very well funded. So that's one of the things I really like about Caden is that they have very few shares, only 47 million, 47.7 million shares outstanding, very well uh, funded, so it's able to carry out its exploration and should have a lot more cash in its till before the end of the year uh, because that property uh, that they hold there is absolutely essential for that uh, very significant gold mine to go forward into production that's being put into production by uh, Gold Corp. I should mention uh, next week I'm going to have Ivan Bebek, he's the CEO of Caden Resources, on this show to provide an update of his company's progress there in Mexico. And I should like to tell you also that you can buy this stock in Canada under the symbol CYD, and you can buy it in the United States as I have under the symbol CDKNF. CDKNF. Uh, it is a recommendation in my newsletter as well. Before we get into uh, the discussion of what today's show is all about, I would like to just mention that uh, some of the comments from Charles Nanner, you know, last week we had David Gerwitz on this show. David is the public face of the brilliant cycles analyst, Charles Nanner, uh, who has advised for various uh, interests at Goldman Sachs and elsewhere. Uh, Charles, uh, last week, as David pointed out, talked about the gold markets uh, being very near a bottom and a bottoming out this quarter, meaning uh, as late, uh, possibly as late as the end of September, but uh, from July, August, September, that time frame. At the same time, he talked about the um, the stock market hitting highs during this same period of time, topping out during this period of time, and then Nanner is predicting a five-year bear market that, in fact, will cut the equity prices in half. So if you can imagine a, a Dow Jones instead of 17,000 is 8,000 something, well, that uh, could be quite a devastating blow uh, to the U.S. economy. But speaking of the U.S. economy, Charles Nanner put out a very unusual missive this past Monday uh, when he talked about waiting for the next credit crisis in the United States. And he highlighted something he calls the HELIC loan crisis, and that stands for Home Equity Line of Credit. Well, it seems as though going back when uh, before the housing uh, crisis developed, a lot of home equity loans were being made, and this is a, uh, this is not an immaterial amount of money, something like a half a trillion dollars estimated by the Fed to be out there in home equity loans. The problem is that a lot of these home equity loans were made without any interest payments required until now. Now, coming up very soon, uh, in another year or two, these loans are going to have to be paid back. Not just the interest being paid, the interest was all that was being charged before, but now uh, what, what Nanner is saying is there's a huge slug of these, how, these mortgages that are going to have to start paying down principal, and that's going to amount to several hundred dollars probably uh, a month for many, for many people. And given the fact that the American people, to such a great extent, live hand to mouth, then it's going to be very, very difficult for those loans to be repaid. Uh, so Nanner is suggesting that we're going to have another housing crisis in the near future, and it will be started with this HELOC loans, but then he's looking at the student student loan problems, and he believes that the student loan problems are going to be much, much worse. Well, the big issue here is we have a topping out of the equity markets, some bottoming out of the gold markets, and what we have, I think, is a major fight going on between real money, true money, and that is uh, gold, and fraudulent fiat money, which is paper money. 
and indeed, I think this is what we're really looking at uh, in terms of our one of our guests today, at least, and that's Chris Powell, who's going to be joining us uh, in just uh, a few minutes here. But what is really happening, in my view, is that we have a major fight going on, a major struggle, a major con game that is being held by manipulating the gold price. You know, it was uh, basically Lawrence Summers understood very well Gibson's paradox. Uh, and uh, David Jensen may talk about this in the second hour of today's show, but basically Gibson's Paradise holds that if you suppress the interest rates, you've got to also suppress the gold price uh, if you want the economy to grow. Otherwise, the gold price will rise and people will run from the dollar and run into gold, and the ability for the, uh, for the system to expand its credit and its uh, continuation of its uh, system will, uh, will, be, uh, will be done away with. So there is a major battle going on. The gold antitrust action, folks, which was uh, partly founded by Chris Powell and my friend Bill Murphy. Well, Chris will be with me to talk about the latest developments from, um, uh, from GATA and also establish some of the previous uh, points that he He's talked about in the past the very significant issues uh, with respect to the gold antitrust, uh, that the uh, issues facing the gold market, the suppression of the gold price. We want to talk to him about that uh, to try to understand how that's being carried out uh, and what are the signs that it can con- continue or not. We're going to also talk uh, at about half past the hour to Peter Matthews. He's the author of a book called Dollar Democracy with Liberty and Justice for Some. Well, clearly, uh, I'm going to be looking to uh, Peter for uh, some documentation on who really owns America. And Peter's book is very well written. Uh, It's a very interesting uh, account of uh, the people, the corporations. Basically, corporations now influence government policy and basically uh, control uh, all that goes on in Washington, both foreign and domestic. And so I think you're not going to want to miss uh, my discussion with Peter Matthews uh, to learn more about some of the names and faces that are involved uh, in controlling our government. Many of them, I believe, are the same folks that are very much involved uh, in suppressing the gold price to keep the dollar con game. I would say uh, that it is uh, really a counterfeit game. The dollar is nothing backing the dollar. Uh, unlike a gold-backed currency, it has nothing other than a promise to pay on the part of the government. Well, they pay. They pay with more worthless uh, dollars. So it is, a, uh, it, it is a con game. It is what's been going on. It's the mainstream, though, overlooks this. So that's why we have Chris Powell coming on with us in just a second uh, to talk about that. That's why we want to have also talk to Peter Matthews about the mechanics and, and some of the documentation of this uh, corruption that goes on in our government. Second hour of today, I'm going to be talking to Daniel McAdams, uh, who will talk on, on the latest events in the Ukraine and elsewhere and some of the things that uh, the propaganda and the myths that are being uh, pushed upon us by the mainstream media. And then David Jensen will also be joining me in the second hour to talk about uh, the connection between geopolitics and the precious metals mines. In particular, David is talking about the platinum and, and most significantly the palladium markets right now, which are really physical markets really out of whack with the uh, with the paper markets. Uh, and David thinks that's a sign that uh, we're going to soon see pressures uh, in gold markets. Silver also is displaying some of those same pressures. Uh, the bullion, the physical markets, much higher than the paper markets. We do have to take our first break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking to Chris Powell, uh, who I'm sure will have some very interesting and insightful things to tell us about the gold markets. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Chris Powell.
comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Chris Powell. Chris has been a career journalist since graduating from high school uh, a number of years ago, uh, Something like the number of years ago that I graduated from high school. We won't mention the number, but it's been back there a little while. A lot of experience both Chris and I have had. Uh, he is uh, managing, has been the managing editor uh, of a, a major newspaper there in, in Connecticut. Um, I think we're, uh, the name of the paper escapes my memory, but we'll ask Journal him in just Inquirer, a second. Jake. The Journal Inquirer in, in Connecticut there in uh, and uh, yeah, so he, but he's also, I've known Chris not as a newspaper editor, although he's put those skills to work, uh, working for the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. And uh, he, Chris, uh, along with uh, my good friend uh, Bill Murphy, uh, started the Gold Antitrust Action Committee in the late 1980s. I re- remember 90, very. 1999 I, is when we incorporated. It was 98 when we started. 1998. Well, I'm losing track of time. There have been so many decades have passed me by that I can't remember. It seems like 88, but 88 is the same as 98 to me. It was a long time around. ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago, but I remember very clearly, and it was 1998, sitting uh, on, a pl- on a platform uh, with uh, Frank Venoroso and Bill Murphy and, um, up in Montreal. And we were talking, and Bill was telling me about how you guys were getting this thing started, the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. So uh, I'm really glad to have you with me again, Chris. Thanks for joining me. Oh, I'm delighted to be here, Jay. And thanks for helping me out with the name of your newspaper. And, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, um, you know, you, um, you and I know, we think we know, we've, we've seen a huge amount of evidence that the gold markets are manipulated, and my thought is, well, why wouldn't they be? I mean, from one point of view, every market in the world is manipulated because we have fiat money. Since every uh, one half of every transaction involves money that is corrupt and created out of nothing, 
then by virtue of the fact that the Fed can increase and decrease the money supply at will, it is manipulating the markets. It manipulates interest rates. Uh, and so why wouldn't it manipulate the gold price? So, uh, But, you know, this is still something that isn't the focus of most people in America. Most people believe what they're told. They believe they still have, as James Grant says, uh, faith in the Ph.D. standard as opposed to the gold standard. People still believe uh, in, uh, in that the, uh, you know, these wise men in Washington, wise women, uh, know how to handle things. Uh, so if the gold markets are rigged, if there's manipulation at least, if that's maybe a better word, who are the players, Chris? Who's big enough to do this? Well, the central banks are big enough to do it, Jay. They they used to do it in the open. That's what the uh, the gold standard was about. That's what the the London Gold Pool of the 1960s uh, was about. It was about uh, fixing the uh, the value of of currencies in in gold terms. Now they do it uh, uh, largely surreptitiously. But if you uh, research uh, as we have done and uh, <clears throat> examine the documentation that is in the public sector, and sometimes it is has leaked out uh, without authorization, you, you find that they are operating directly in the gold market, uh, often through intermediaries, um, but nevertheless, they are very heavily involved in the, in the gold market. We have <clears throat> documents from the International Monetary Fund, the Bank for International Settlements, uh, statements by central bankers uh, that uh, really have been made in public or put in their memoirs, uh, some of them very contemporaneous uh, establishing that uh, central banks are uh, in the gold market uh, every day. In fact, there was a, a statement by uh, an official of the, uh, the French Central Bank just uh, about a year ago saying that the Bank uh, of France uh, trades gold for its uh, own account and for other central banks virtually every day of the year. Now, um, either they're doing this for fun or they're doing this for policy purposes. And if they're doing it for policy purposes, they're doing it uh, for price control. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is this is pretty obvious. Um, uh, all you have to do uh, to I think convince yourself is to is to put the right specific questions to uh, central banks and the IMF and the BIS and watch them turn tail and run. Yeah, they don't they don't respond, huh? They just run like hell. No, they'll they'll say, oh, the information you want is confidential. Well, basically, you're asking for is can we see the documentation of are you trading in the gold market? Do you have gold swaps with other central banks? What's the purpose of these uh, these swaps? Um, uh, you, you can establish this, you know, very easily from the documentation that's uh, that's available. But um, I, I, I simply urge anybody who's who's skeptical of these assertions to review the documentation himself. It's it's, it's all posted in the documentation file on our internet site, gata.org. Uh, to put very specific questions about uh, uh, gold operations to central banks, and anybody can do what we have done. GATGATA.org is where people should go. I guess, Chris, how can people get your daily misses? Because you send them, you know, I get two, three, four of these a day. Uh, a lot of great information and people in the gold markets of authority who are talking about what's going on. Uh, it's very, very valuable if you want to keep up with this. Uh, with what's going on in the gold markets. Chris, there's nobody doing a better job than you guys are doing. Uh, how can people get on their mailing list? Oh, well, yeah, we do have a dispatch list. We will send out uh, sometimes, uh, you know, two or three things, sometimes yeah. seven or eight or nine things per day. Uh, yeah. 
you can uh, subscribe to our email list. It's free. Just going to uh, gata.org and in the right column, there's a a mechanism for uh, signing up for our dispatches, and you can choose either uh, individual dispatches or if you don't want to be bothered by uh, multiple dispatches during the day, you can just uh, elect to uh, receive our, our daily summary dispatch, which will uh, list all the dispatches that have gone out in the previous 24 hours. Chris, if you were to uh, to tell our listeners, if you were to give them uh, just a few examples two or three at least, of some of the most compelling evidence that the central banks are playing or manipulating the gold markets, what would they be? Well, uh, there's a few that I'm particularly fond of. Uh, there's uh, uh, the uh, 1999 uh, secret staff report of the International Monetary Fund uh, to the board of the International Monetary Fund. It was... Uh, uh, the document is marked secret, but got obtained a, a copy of it, and it's posted in the documentation of our internet site. <clears throat> the uh, staff report of the IMF in um, 1999 uh, was uh, part of an attempt by the IMF staff to bring more transparency to uh, the uh, accounts of banks, central banks that were members of the IMF. The, the IMF uh, heard complaints that uh, central bank gold uh, records were very misleading because central banks are reporting uh, on the same line in their in their books uh, gold that was in the vault and gold that was leased out. Uh-huh. Uh, central central banks are not distinguishing uh, their uh, gold in the vault from 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 gold that had been been leased and impaired in some way. So the IMF staff uh, proposed to the IMF board and to the member central banks of the IMF that central banks be required to distinguish uh, lease gold from gold in the vault. In pursuit of this proposal, the IMF staff uh, surveyed member central banks about uh, uh, disclosing their gold leases. And the IMF uh, staff report from March 1999 recounts how this suggestion of disclosing gold leases was received with horror by uh, the member central banks uh, because the staff report explains if uh, the central banks uh, disclosed their gold leases, uh, it would uh, reveal their surreptitious intervention in the gold market and the currency markets. So that is uh, pretty much a smoking gun, but there are other smoking guns. The annual report of the the Bank for International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland, the, the central bank of the central bank, uh, candidly admits that the BIS is the gold bank and gold broker for dozens of central banks that it trades in the, the gold market, uh, for those uh, central bank members that it trades not only in gold itself, but in gold options and futures and, and, and derivatives. Um, in fact, one of the documents that we've posted on our uh, Internet site is a PowerPoint presentation that the BIS made to prospective central bank members a few years ago among the services the BIS was advertising to prospective uh, uh, central bank members uh, was a secret intervention in the gold market. So <laughs> the, the, the BIS uh, in its annual report acknowledges that it is the, the gold broker, trader, uh, uh, futures and options broker for central banks. And the BIS even advertises that it conducts secret gold market interventions for central banks. So that's, those are a couple of... Uh, 
pretty good uh, smoking guns there. But we also have uh, memoirs by uh, various uh, uh, central bankers over the years, minutes of uh, meetings at the State Department uh, about rigging the gold price, uh, intelligence agency memoranda that have been uh, declassified. Uh, there, there's there's very much of this stuff, Jay, and it's 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 all documented and it's posted in the documentation file uh, uh, on our internet site, which is accessible to anybody. And you know, I just urge people who are skeptical uh, not to take my word about. Any of this stuff, but please examine the documentation. Examine uh, document by document and uh, see if uh, you think the documents are forgeries or if you think they're being uh, misconstrued. I'm, I'm confident that uh, an open-minded person will not uh, think that they're uh, forgeries, especially since many of them still reside on central bank Internet sites, and I, I, I don't think people will uh, conclude that we've misconstrued them. No, I, in, in fact, you guys uh, have done an awful lot of work and documented an awful lot of evidence, some more circumstantial, I suppose. I mean, I think back to the time when Alan Greenspan made a famous quote uh, in a House banking committee in which he said something about central banks stand ready to lease gold in increasing quantities should the price begin to rise or something to that effect, if yeah, I have that that's, right. That's it. No, that, you got it exactly right. But Greenspan was... In that testimony uh, to the House and Senate Banking Committees in, in uh, the summer of 1998, he was trying to persuade Congress not to enact legislation regulating derivatives. And his reference mm-hmm. to gold uh, was to uh, uh, explain to the congressman uh, that uh, they did not have to worry about anybody cornering the gold market uh, because central banks already had the gold market cornered through gold uh, leasing. Um, uh-huh. And in fact, I, he didn't exactly put it this way, but I, I think Greenspan, one of the reasons Greenspan was against regulation of derivatives is because uh, central banks themselves uh, were using derivatives as a primary mechanism for controlling the gold market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Chris, people that invest in the gold markets, people like me who buy gold mining shares, uh, care an awful lot about the gold price. But to most people, it's irrelevant. Most people think it's irrelevant, at least. Even some of my colleagues that uh, I won't name, but uh, guys that I'm uh, a Canadian analysts who sometimes I sit on stages with and talk to about uh, the, the mining companies and so forth uh, are not of the same persuasion that I am, that gold is very, very important as a monetary asset. And so they say, what's all the fuss about? The gold markets are so small compared to the treasury markets, compared to the stock markets, compared, you know, especially the bond markets. Uh, what do you tell people in terms of why is this so important? I mean, after all, uh, you know, we we have a government that seems to not pay much attention to a lot of the laws that uh, and the inst- and the intentions of our founding fathers. So, why not? What's the big deal? Well, actually, Jay, the the gold market is not really small, and if you consider what it uh, what it functions as, it's it's actually the the most decisive market of all because uh, gold is the determinant of uh, the uh, value not only of all other currencies, but it's a determinant of interest rates and the value of government bonds. There's much academic literature on this point. Uh, There's a a big academic uh, paper uh, written, uh, I think, in the uh, 1980s by uh, uh, Lawrence Summers, who was then an economics professor at Harvard, went on to be assistant uh, uh, 
Treasury Secretary and then Treasury Secretary. Uh, his co-author with the paper was Robert Barsky, who is still a professor of economics at the University of Michigan. Uh, they wrote a paper uh, called Gibson's Paradox uh, uh, and the Gold Standard, I guess. Uh, uh, it was a long study about the relationship between the gold price and interest rates, and Summers and Barsky uh, confirmed what others had uh, had found that uh, ordinarily in a free market, uh, the price of gold is inversely related to uh, uh, real interest rates. If real interest rates are high, the gold price is low, and if real interest rates are low, the gold price is high. Mm-hmm. The implication of the Summers and Barsky paper was that governments could uh, achieve their nirvana of uh, uh, low interest rates and high government borrowings and uh, high government bond prices if they could, if the governments could get control of the gold price. Um, well, governments have been trying to get control of the gold price for years. As I said, that's what the gold standard was about. But um, there is this uh, very close relationship um, between the gold price and the value of currencies and mm-hmm. interest rates and the value of government bonds. Um, that's why gold is really the biggest market uh, of all, because if uh, uh, you uh, are, are controlling the gold price, you can control interest rates, you can control government bond prices, you can control equity prices, you can control uh, currency values. So basically, uh, control of the gold price is control of the value of all capital, labor, goods, and services in the world. And if you think for a minute, uh, you realize that economically there is nothing else. Yeah, well, it's uh, it certainly is uh, crucial. I believe that's true, but I, I would just ask the question because it seems like an awful lot of people don't seem to think that gold matters much. And I think that's probably part of the propaganda. That's yeah, well, been... central banks themselves do think it matters that much, and that's really yeah. what uh, our documentation establishes uh, we have on our internet site among other things uh, the um, transcript of a uh, a meeting between secretary of state henry kissinger uh and one of his deputies in uh, the state department in 1974 in which uh his deputy explains to him that possession of uh, of of gold control of gold is uh actually the most important economic variable in the world because it uh, allows the possessor of gold to uh, uh, really increase and control the money supply in the world. And uh, uh, Kissinger is discussing with his deputy how uh, this control of uh, uh, official gold reserves is really an important objective of United States policy because it's a, mm-hmm. the mechanism of, uh, by which the United States can control the world. Now, yeah. um, your your friends and my friends don't have to think that this is very important, but I think I can show them documentation uh, establishing that uh, governments and central banks uh, understand the golden rule to be that whoever uh, controls the gold makes the rules. Yeah, well, indeed, that seems to be the case, and uh, for sure has been through through history, uh, Chris. But can this go on infinitely with about 30 seconds or so? Do you think this is going to go on much further, much longer? Boy, Jay, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it is largely a question of uh, public awareness. If uh, people become aware of what's going on and act accordingly, I think it will end. If people remain uh, ignorant and uh, accept uh, uh, paper gold in uh, place of uh, of real metal, then I think it can go on forever. 
Yeah. Well, let's hope that people wise up. It's uh, certainly, Agata, you've done your part, you and Bill Murphy and the many people that work with you to help uh, shine some light on the darkness of central bankers, these guys that are really uh, robbing the public in many ways, I, th- I think. Uh, and gold, I think, is, I think you've really pointed it out well, Chris, that it is actually uh, the foundation for which uh, the capital markets are, uh, are are legitimized. And if you take that away, we've seen all manner of a bastardization of the of the capital markets. David Stockman talks about the ex, uh, the the complete uh, dis, uh, the destruction of the capital markets, certainly through zero interest rate policy, and that, as you point out, can only be maintained, as Summers pointed out, if the gold price is suppressed. So, I want to thank you very much, Chris, for uh, helping us out here, understanding the connections here between uh, the importance of the gold price, gold price manipulation, and policies. It's not just about some of us who are invested in the gold markets who would like to make some money in it. I'm actually investing in the gold markets because I've seen this problem coming. It wasn't because I wanted to get rich that way. It was just because I could see that we were going to be, that gold was going to go much, much higher. But Gata, you and the folks at Gata, uh, Chris, have done a remarkable job. I want to thank you very much for sharing some of that information. Again, folks, go to Gata, G-A-T-A dot org to sign up for the daily missives that uh, Chris Powell and his crew send out. Thank you very much, Chris, for being with me once again. Thanks for your interest, Jay. Uh, Folks, uh, don't go away because coming up next, Peter Matthews will join me to talk about his book, Dollar Democracy with Liberty and Justice for Some. Very interesting insights from Peter. uh, And so stick around. We'll be talking to him on the other side of the break. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. 
Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time, Peter Matthews. Peter is the author of a book that I have in my hands here called Dollar Democracy with Liberty and Justice for Some. He is a full-time professor of political science at Cypress College and an adjunct professor of sociology at Long Beach City College, and he has taught at California State University Fullerton and is currently a featured political analyst and a contributing partner in the Head on Head radio show uh, on KEIB AM. That's 1150 in Los Angeles. He is involved in radio, a number of other, another, a, num- a number of other uh, shows as well. So Peter is is very well known in that part of the world, and uh, I'm glad to uh, learn to know something about him uh, from this book, Dollar Democracy with Liberty and Justice for Some. Uh, Peter's traveled in a whole lot of different countries, 27 to be exact, and he's researched there, done a taught, traveled, and uh, has been a world traveler. So he's had a lot of experience uh, looking at how other people live and how they view things, and I think that's one of the things that too many Americans don't have, an appreciation uh, for diversity and a view of how other people think and, uh, and, and about life and so forth. So with that background, I want to welcome, welcome you, Peter. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Jay. I really appreciate being here with you. It's really good to have you. You know, on the inside cover of your book, you quoted a man who died tragically, and I think many people think mysteriously. And I'm talking about Senator Paul Wellstone, who I believe we know is one of those rare elected officials who really honestly believed that he was a servant of the people. That he was uh, that he was sent to Washington for the reasons our founding fathers believed men should be elected to office, and that is to serve the people. The government uh, was to serve the people, and not the people to serve uh, the government. That was the mindset. And you know, so many politicians these days seem to be more "What's in it for me?" That seems to be their motivation. Well, I don't think that was from all I've read and learned about Senator Paul Wellstone. That was the case of him. Uh, the quote in your book, uh, open up the book and the first, immediately you read uh, a quote from uh, Senator Wellstone, uh, quote, politics is not about power, politics is not about money, politics is not about winning for the sake of winning, politics is about the improvement of people's lives, end of quote. Well, now I believe that politics, that that's what Senator Paul Wellstone believed. But do you really believe, as I page through your book, Dollar Democracy, I have to think you must believe that's not what most people think politics are about. You got a great point there. It's unfortunate our politics has degenerated or deteriorated so much since the original intent of the founders, and that is to represent people and to help improve people's lives. And, you know, Wellstone was a living example, Jay. I got to meet him, actually, and it was very inspiring. I met his wonderful wife, Sheila, as well. And to see a man who would run for a high office with no money from any corporate lobbyists, organized political action committees uh, that would distract you from the real goals, instead he relied on volunteers and on small donations from regular folks. He drove an old campaign school bus around the state, as you know, (laughs) and he got elected by a little less than 2% of the vote the first time. And the second time in 1996, he got elected by a larger margin. And then tragically in 2002, when he was up for re-election, after being the only Democrat to vote against the funding of the war of George Bush. Um, and he, he surged in popularity by 9%, and then his plane went down tragically a few days before the election. And it's very, mysteri- as you said, mysterious circumstances. We've got to look at that more carefully. But the, the, the result of that was the, uh, the Senate went back to the Republican Party, and both houses were dominated by, both, by the same party, and the president was the same party, and gave him carte blanche to a lot of things that most of us, especially those of us believing in civil liberties, would not approve of. 
Yeah. Well, so it was right after his vote against the war. We're talking about the first Gulf War? No, we're talking uh, about no, the, the Iraq Juniors War. Juniors the one, war. Yeah, the one that President Bush uh, went into in 2003. Under false pretenses. It, on, under false pretenses. I mean, there were no weapons of mass destruction. In fact, NBC called me to come and, and, and comment on Bush's uh, State of the Union address and he's, when he was recommending that we should go. He said, let's go in. We've got to do this. And I said, President Bush, don't do it. Let the inspections work. Our, the U.N. inspectors, including our own members on the U.N. team, are saying the inspections are getting access to all kinds of places that Saddam Hussein never gave access to before. And now we're finding no weapons of mass destruction. And the other thing was the argument Bush made that Saddam Hussein and bin Laden were connected, and that Saddam Hussein had something to do with 9-11, which was completely preposterous because bin Laden and Saddam Hussein never got along. In fact, bin Laden threatened to kill Saddam Hussein back in the first Gulf War and said he would do it himself. Uh, and they were to totally different kinds of political leaders, you know, if you want to call the radical extremist uh, bin Laden the leader. I just say that it was awful to see that Bush goes in and borrows a trillion dollars, Jay, out of which $800 billion was interest alone. And there was a third trillion there for the soldiers that came home injured and wounded that have to be taken care of and couldn't work productively. It's a $3 trillion war, as Professor Joseph Stiglitz said. And that's completely what we should stop doing and focus on development here in our own country especially giving small business a chance to start out entrepreneurially, come up with new products, new skills, and fo focus on our education system. Uh -huh. uh, that would really help us build the middle class again, which, by the way, has disappeared completely, or is disappearing rapidly because very rapidly. of dollar democracy. Very, very rapidly. I'd like to get into dollar democracy and some of the ideas in that book, but before we go there, just looking at the devastation uh, you know, our foreign policy, it seems to me, if, it, if we wanted to set up a foreign policy that will make things worse, we couldn't do a better job if we tried. Wow, so appropriately put. That's very clear. I mean, how is that? Look at, look at Iraq now. Yes. Iraq is far worse off than it was after many tens of, uh, maybe hundreds of thousands. I don't know how many people, Iraqis died. But what do we do as Americans say, well, it doesn't matter, they're Iraqis. Do we feel that way? In America? It seems like we, and, you know. And we have this stealth warfare now, and people aren't really on the ground to such an extent. Or, or what about this? You know, I don't know your age exactly, but I, you know, I was a young man during Vietnam. Uh huh. So was we I, had the, by the way. Were you? Well, so when we had Not a, a draft, very young man. <laughs> so so I was say, very well of it. Aware of but it. Yeah. You were you? Yeah. So I think I'm probably older than you. I was. I'm a, I'm among the older baby boomers. So uh -huh. the the point is that. Um, the, the Vietnam War, we, we had a draft. Yeah. And the young people, they revolted. What if, we, what if we had a draft today? Would that change the politics of war considerably Absolutely, in America? More people would be aware of what the war is fought for. They'll try to find out as opposed to going, you know, yeah. like volunteers going to the army because they're so desperate for education. They can't afford their uh, education or their jobs are not available because the economy right. is so bad. So they sign up to go to war most of the time just in order to be able to pay their bills. Now, there were a few who are going there because they believe in it, but most of them say, you know, if my leader says we need to go, I'm going to go, and that's also going to help me get through college. And it's, that's the real shame, Jay, that we've taken away opportunity from our younger generation and then basically said, here, here's the military. You go into it and fight this war. So, yeah, if we had a, a draft like that, they wouldn't be. First of all, I'm not advocating a draft. I think no. we should stop these unjust wars and these wars of choice that are uh, making us more, look more like an empire rather than a republic. And as people like Ron Paul and them say very clearly, and, and Senator Wellstone, that this war was unjustified. It's cost us trillions, and it's, money could have gone to investing in new technology and promoting business to even do exports like they do in Germany. The German government subsidizes a lot of export technology and then promotes those products like the Japanese government does around the world. And I think the entrepreneurs could have a hand in that 
uh, from our government rather than having these war bills hitting us all the time with staggeringly. You know, huge yeah, I'm trillion, I mean, four, three trillion dollars turns into five trillion real quick when the interest has to be paid on it. You know right. what I mean? Over time. And, yeah. and we're and and the same people are itching to get into another one in the Ukraine. Uh, you yes. Know, and, and, and all over the world, it, it is. I mean, there are people that really see us. I think the people that control and own our country really do believe we are an empire. I mean, we are. Well, we are an empire, are we not? The way well, we're they're acting. certainly behaving. They're leading the country to behave that way, and it's and they're using hard power, meaning mainly the weapons and. Guns and and tanks and bombers and that's the that's the bad part of it. It's called hard power when you use strict military force to get your way. And sometimes, occasionally, hard power is important if you're defending yourself, if the country's being right. invaded or attacked. But right. look at China and other countries that use what's called soft power, put forth by J- Professor Joseph Nye of Harvard, wrote extensively on, on soft power approach, where we could use our tremendous economic acumen and also our our, our moral example. You know, of having a great constitution, use that as an example to the world to show and let the world come and be partners with us in developing economically over there, and especially global South countries that are poorer countries, been exploited for hundreds of years. Why don't we go and set up some projects like China does, like building hospitals and building railroads in those countries as partners, and then also having trade with them? You know, that yeah. soft power will go much further, Jay, and much more effectively than just using raw force, which we've been resorting to more and more. And by the way, our military budget is about. What? It's equal to the next 10 countries in a row. We're spending exactly. over $500 yeah. billion a year without yeah. the cost of the war. $500 billion on military hardware and personnel and putting those forces all over the world. $500 billion compared to the next largest country, which is less about $100 billion, That's China. We're spending yeah. five to six times what China is spending and more than the next 10 countries. And like Napoleon once said, you can do everything with a bayonet, but you can't sit on it. You can, you can, <laughs> you can kill with it, defend with it, but you can't create more jobs with it. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, exactly. That's why I would say we have to re- retrain, uh, direct ourselves once again. It really seems to me that uh, that things are out of whack. That 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 America really is looking to become and is striving to become not the people, but the people that are in control uh, to be an empire. You know, it was one of our guests recently who writes for Forbes uh, was in the State Department and also though the past thirty years has lived and worked as I think in the banking industry primarily or in the financial industry in some respect, out of Tokyo. And he said, you know, it it's just seems crazy to him that we think that China shouldn't be allowed to develop a navy to protect its own sea lanes. We want to have that privilege, that right to protect China's sea lanes. Well, why would we have to do that other than if we, if we want to control the Pacific and control what China does? And it, it just seems wrong to me. But uh, and, and I'm very glad that you mentioned uh, Ron Paul because we uh, will be having Daniel McAdams on this show in the second hour. Okay. Uh, Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, which, by the right. way, uh, Dennis Kucinich is a part of. A lot of people from both, well, some, That's right. not too many Republicans because most of the Republicans tend to be, and I'm too many Democrats, too, in my my view, have now all joined the military-industrial complex. But let's get into and your guess book. Who, who warned against that? President Eisenhower warned us a- against the inordinate appetite of the military-industrial complex. Absolutely, and I think it was John Perkins who I had on this show talked one time, though. He, he mentioned, he says, yes, he did, Jay, yes. that's right. But he did that as he was leaving the White House. He didn't say anything about it earlier. That's so he sort of figures that maybe Eisenhower knew uh, it, he wouldn't be able to get away with it if he were uh, in the office. But anyway, so yeah. let's talk about your book. I mean, um, you, you suggest that, um, you know, that, that policies intended, you say, I think, somewhere that policies intended uh, that, are, that have been created – intentionally to essentially deceive 
uh, and eliminate the middle class. That's a pretty strong statement. I, I don't say that I disagree with it. I just like uh, you to explain it. And you, you're suggesting starting with the Reagan administration. Could you talk a little bit about uh, about what you're talking about there? Yes. Prior to President Reagan's administration, we had a consensus in this country based on President Roosevelt's uh, New Deal and bringing us out of the Great Depression by having, you know, saying that the government has some responsibility to be able to provide opportunity for people, including direct employment if there's a huge massive unemployment like there was. And of course, World War II, because of government spending, brought us out and we were able to prime the pump and get some of the businesses to build products, which then became civilian products after the war was over. That consensus that, you know, government is not our enemy. It's, it's, it can be a partner. It shouldn't be overwhelming and over-regulatory. It shouldn't suppress small business. It shouldn't overtax them and over-regulate them. But it shouldn't be either a corporate welfare handmaiden to the huge corporations and monopoly capitalists who have been right. given all kinds of privileges. We want a competitive economy, but also have government do things like support public education, a good infrastructure, which would be really good, and to encourage innovation and development. And that balanced approach was, I think, pushed by the wayside by Ronald Reagan uh, and his ideas of saying the government cannot solve our problems. The government is the problem. Mm-hmm. I'd like to modify that. If you, were, if you were to say the right thing, I think Reagan could have said that government can sometimes help us solve certain problems that we can't mm-hmm. do as individuals. Uh-huh. And government is not the problem. Sometimes we ourselves are the problem. We can fix that by getting, becoming more initiative, taking more initiative to, to help each other. So there's a, a balanced approach that was thrown out of whack when President Reagan kept hammering on supply-side economics, like at all costs, cut taxes on big corporations, investors, hoping they will then invest and expand the economy and it will trickle down to all of us. And I don't think that it worked quite as well as Reagan said it would. And I believe that really consolidated some kind of a cultural shift where Americans came to look at government as the enemy. And that's really a shame because we've seen in the past how government has helped a lot. And we make sure government provides a fishing rod sometimes. You know, the old adage, if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. If you teach him how to fish, he eats for a lifetime. And that's what both Democrats and Republicans should agree on. Right. And then decide where we could do that, how should how to do that best. No, I'm not saying it's a total conspiracy where they all got together on Saturday night and said we're going to rip the middle class apart. But... Their values of these elites, the top 1% or top one half of 1%, their values have been going completely extreme where it's all about the bottom line, Jay, and how much money can we make in the world and plunder the world and whatever happens to America doesn't matter. That's yeah, wrong. Pl- yeah, that is wrong. I mean, and, and you talk about the moral suasion that we could have on the rest of the world. When we act yes. that way, we destroy that, that morality that would give us the right to do things. I mean, I can remember a time when... Uh, Jimmy Carter and others were involved with helping to oversee uh, elections. I think after the uh, after the George Bush election, uh, probably the United States isn't seen in the same light anymore uh, as as a, a beacon of light to the world in terms of democracy and freedom for the individual. That in fact, yes, uh, I, and I hope more and more people. Although I know that uh, when it comes with respect to the Ukrainian issue, that it's the people from Eastern uh, the Eastern Europeans that came under the rule of the Soviet Union that seem to be most strident about having us go in and beat the hell out of the Russians in, in the Ukraine, it seems. So I, I think what they are missing is what you and I are talking about, the direction of our country, moving away from a country for the people and by the people to a country for the rich and powerful by the rich and powerful. Yes, and that completely violates the democratic principles of self-rule. And I'm trying in my book to show how we can get back to that with various reforms. One is Wellstone's own example. In Chapter 8, I said President, uh, Senator Wellstone provide a human example of how all the politicians today should say, we're going to kick the habit. No more corporate money, no money from lobbyists and special interest groups. We're going to go out and do what Wellstone did and get elected. Now, that's a fantasy in a sense because most aren't yeah. going to do that, right? right? So the other option is 
to go with a clean money election system like they have in Maine and Arizona, with those two states pioneered it, where it's voluntary public financing. If you decide to run for state assembly in Maine, for example, you just have to go out and, and gather $5 each from 65 people. That means they've nominated you. They put their money where their mouth is. They've nominated you with a small amount of money. And once you turn that money over to the election commission, the state of Maine writes you a check for several thousand dollars to run your campaign. But you have to agree not to take any private money, not even spend your own private money, and you become a public election candidate. And when you win that way, like 80% of the Maine legislature did back in the uh, late 90s, then they were free to push uh, policies based on what's good for all the people, not just a few. So I think that's the solution. But we have to have ultimately, I think, what we call a move to amend a group calls the 28th Amendment. We the people amendment the Constitution, which would then say that corporations are not natural persons with human rights, but instead they are basically there for convenience to be able to organize the economy. They can make profits, but they can't buy the government. So corporations are not people. And money is not speech. Those two things that the Supreme Court ruled in favor of should right. be changed by this amendment, in my view. That way we'll liberate regular Americans, entrepreneurs, individuals to take this country back. Yeah, indeed. That, I think, was one of the most important. Those two decisions were a couple of the most important decisions in uh, in enabling the system to go in the direction it has, for sure. You yeah. know, you, you mentioned you, you think you saw an inflection point with the Reagan administration and certainly the, uh, the uh, build up the war machinery and increased our budget deficits like never yes. before. The supply siders, uh, they didn't want to tax, but they wanted to uh, borrow. They wanted to borrow, yeah. <laughs> and that's what's, gotten us, that's, what, that's what's gotten us in deep doo-doo here and last week we had David Stockman on this show and he oh, yes. of course was very much a part of that and fought with the Reagan administration you remember maybe when he resigned for that reason didn't he He resigned because yeah. he stood up to the president and said we can't do this we can't be spending all this money if we do we've got to find a way to pay for it and of right. course right now we're looking at budget deficits that threaten uh, threaten our country and I think we're impoverishing the middle class that you're talking about That's to such a do. great to such a because great extent so, so it's David, money, the three hundred is over three hundred, four hundred billion dollars a year, close to that. The debt on the interest alone—I'm sorry, the interest on the debt alone—the seventeen trillion dollar debt is about four hundred billion a year out of the pocket of the taxpayer, the middle class taxpayer, you know, the pockets of the wealthy bondholders, who are mostly now foreign governments, foreign nationals, and also wealthy American corporate elites. So it's a transfer of money. This huge debt that we should be paying down, in my view. If you have to close some corporate tax loopholes that are unfair, bring the money in. And then yeah. pay down the debt and also invest in education and entrepreneurship. Does that yeah. make any sense? Oh, I, I think it does make sense. I think there's some proposals to do that, actually, to, uh, you know, to give the corporations a tax break to bring the money back and then keep it here and not, and not give them tax advantages uh, to go overseas. And uh, there's a whole lot of uh, material in your book, I think, also in which you cover uh, some, of the, uh, some of the treaties and so forth that have helped. Uh, I mean, we just don't have time. My engineer is telling me we only have a couple of minutes left. But, <laughs> okay. you know, you have, uh, you, you've done a lot in your book about... Uh, I think about manufacturing, how we've lost those jobs that really do create wealth, the wealth-creating jobs, and we've gone to a hamburger flipper uh, economy, basically a service economy. Mm -hmm. It's not that that's bad, but you really need to produce things. I would love to ask you about, you, you remember Ross Perot, and he talked yes. about that giant sucking sound. Of the NAFTA uh, results. That was yes. NAFTA. And it but happened. We've predicted gone, it. It has yes, happened. And it, uh, and it certainly happened. And I've got the stats in my book. The statistics are right there showing how many... Hundreds of thousands, uh, if not millions of jobs were lost, manufacturing jobs. By the way, in 1950s, 30% of our workforce was manufacturing. 
Today it's down to nine percent, Jay. Nine percent. And, and that you know, I, I like to country. say that uh, the, the industries that create wealth are like mining, manufacturing, farming, inventing. Those things that you're suggesting, if we had some of these resources at home, uh, yes. they could be redirected in that direction. Uh, creativity, uh, enhancing people's lives instead of killing people for blood money is what, is what I think we're doing and what the military-industrial complex is all about. You know, we're out of time. It's really been a pleasure talking to you, Peter. I hope we can do it again sometime. We'll be able uh, to. I've, I give my website out if you don't mind? So they can yeah. Oh, I'm sorry for, uh, for not doing right. that. Uh, go ahead. It's, sure. It's epetermatthews.com and Matthews is spelled with one T M-A-T-H-E-W-S epetermatthews.com they can go there and order the book directly from me and I can autograph it or they can go to Amazon to click the link for Amazon get it there or Barnes and Nobles or your local bookstore your small business bookstore that's even better very good them. thank you thank very you. much Peter thank you very much we'll talk to you again sometime it's been a pleasure thank you, you so much thank you so much Folks, Jay. Uh, take care Folks, that's not all today. We have another hour coming up at jtaylormedia.com. We'll be talking to Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity and also David Jensen uh, on the connection between geopolitics and the precious metals markets. I'll see you there. jtaylormedia.com. Hit the podcast button. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. 